Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we're going to drink this beer because it's there. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. <laughs> and we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. Jimmy, starting with a beer. This book is about climbing Mount Everest, and this beer is called Peak Buster. <laughs> and it's from Ghostfish. And it's, it's a guy climbing a mountain on the fucking front of it. Uh, I have too many beers today, but they were all too good not to get. I mean, they're probably not all great, but they're all stupidly named. So this is the best I've ever done. And not like the stereotypical con- con- connections that I usually make. Like, these are all perfect. This is the best I've ever done. I'm peaking right now. Jimmy's making up I, for I'm four years of stupid ones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making up one, one. I have one beer ear for each year of stupid ones. Uh, this is 8%. It's a double IPA. And it is... It is gluten-free, but we'll see how that goes. Ooh, good Lord. In a good way? Any notes of gluten? It's, this beer is beyond big. We piled a mountain of Summit, Azaka, Centennial, and Eureka hops on a heavy foundation of malted rice milk. Surprisingly, surprising stone-dry finish, and over-the-top hot flavors of passion fruit, mango, and pine. It actually does have a stunningly dry finish. It's like I'm being dehydrated as I drink it. It's like over the top on that part. The air on Mount Everest will it do is that to you. Sucking the fluids <laughs> from my body. It's quite bitter. Ooh, yeah, it's really bitter. What the fuck is Ghostfish? Is uh, Seattle, Seattle, Washington? Unless there's another Seattle. I'm not. I'm assuming there isn't. Chief Seattle. Chief Seattle. I don't a think guy? he himself he... did it. Uh, yeah. This is a 100% gluten-free. Double IPA, and it is bitter as fuck, but it's not bad. 8%. Well, a lot of people are bitter at the end of this book. 8% uh, of them. <laughs> at least. <laughs> a lot more than 8% of Some them. Some of them lose 8% of their toes. Uh, so and More than 8% of them are dead. Yeah. yeah. So this is an um, uncommon thing for us, the nonfiction book. I was surprised this one won the poll. This is the poll winner. And yeah, so I think our theme was snow jobs. Yeah. And uh, this this one, it's a it was a huge bestseller, you know. And when it came out, they made a, a shitty movie of it, and probably another. I think there's another movie that was made more recently. Oh, there's a 1985 movie called Into Thin Air, but the, this book hadn't literally hadn't happened yet. So no, it was made into in 97. It was made into a TV movie, and then there was a movie oh. made in um, 2015 with mm-hmm. actual actors and stuff like that. Well, I mean, for the entire time, I was reminded of the early 2000s, late 90s classic, Vertical Limit, which was the entire extent of my mountain climbing knowledge up until I read this Is book. The one with Chris O'Donnell? Stallone? No, no, no. That's, you're thinking Cliffhanger. Uh, Vertical Limit was the one with Chris O'Donnell and Bill Paxton, the dead one, uh, uh, and Robin Tunney as they, you know, they're, he's like the rich... It's kind of like this book where it's like the rich guy hired all these people to get him to the top of the mountain and they get trapped and then everyone else has to like climb the mountain real fast to save them. And it was an action-packed early 2000s or late 90s hit. And I don't remember when it came out, but I saw it about a hundred times because it was always on TV at some point. It's from 2000. Yeah, there you go. I was right there in the taint. I can't believe you pulled the name Robin Tunney out. It's not the first time you've said that name and I always have to look up who that is. I'm like, oh, that's what she's called. The Craft? Yeah, because I I've been keeping tabs on the you know, her and Feruza Balk. I'm like, what, what are those bitches up to these days? 
Well, nothing, because this came out like two years after the craft. <laughs> <laughs> so Into the Air uh, is about events that happened on Mount Everest in 1996. John Krakauer is... Other big famous book is Into the Wild. So this continues his theme of the Into oh, series. That? Yeah, he wrote that. Oh, okay. The one about the, the guy who starved himself to death. Yeah, fucking idiot guy. <laughs> yeah. It was a very good movie. Didn't read the uh, book. Well, it's, it should be on... Uh, we should do it at some point. I do want to read it. Yeah. In fact, that book had only come out in January of 96. So Ooh, then, he had yeah, a, an intense few mm, years there. Yeah. <laughs> so then... He ha- he goes through in the beginning of the book, he kind of partly talks about the history of climbing Mount Everest, which we should get to, but he also talks about his personal history as a climber, that he had been a sort of amateur climber, you know, doing shit that would kill any of us right now, but not any, oh, yeah. not the, you know, super high stakes, crazy stuff like summiting Mount Everest. Not high he did, altitude. He did tough climbs. Yes, exactly. He did some tough hikes, but they weren't but they weren't high altitude, which makes which makes everything 10 times harder. Right. And absolutely sucks. Like oh my god, the I, the part at high altitude, I mean, which is most of the book. So miserable and you probably can't metabolize alcohol when you're uh up that high. So you wouldn't get drunk or you would just die. No. Well, you can actually barely eat at all because your body actually cannot digest things without without some oxygen. So that's why they were literally eating like just I had like a spoonful of sugar and just like they that only a tiny bit because your body just can't can't digest it. So probably um, alcohol probably wouldn't work. Humans are not supposed to be there. That's the theme of the book. They're not. It's fucking stupid trying to be there. It's so high up that sometimes you can't even <laughs> see the top of it. Sometimes it's got a shrouded summit. <laughs> <laughs> this is shrouded summit, also from Ghostfish, also uh, a gluten-free, but this is a Belgian white ale, and it's only 4.5%, so it's a beer for children. This is pretty good. It tastes kind of like a like a light Belgian, like not as like in-your-face as Belgians can be with all the cloves and... Spice stuff, but it tastes like a a Belgian that's you know for once not fifteen percent alcohol. So it's pretty good. This one's better than Peak Buster. But only because Peak Buster is so fucking bitter. <laughs> Krakauer he he talks about you know like being a hiker and climber, mountain climber. You know as a kid and then as a young adult, and he talks about hearing about Mount Everest when he was a kid and thinking. And, you know, oh, I, I want to do that. I want to hike it because it's there. No, he didn't say that. It was um, Mallory. One of those other idiots who died on Mount Everest. Um, <laughs> Take pick a but, number. Uh, anyway, a lot of <laughs> but he never thought, even as he became sort of like, he basically, when he was in his 20s, he more or less just made a minute, had a minimum wage job to support his like hiking habit, <laughs> seemed like his mountain climbing habit. But he never did any uh, anything on Everest, and then he had started writing for Outdoor Magazine. Outside, Outside Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> They're both, you know, it's almost the same. They're both out for Outside Magazine, and you know, he had doing some stories, and then with they tried first um, in 1995, they were going to send him to hike Mount Everest, but only with like three weeks' notice. And then he was like, no, how about next year and give me a year to, like, train? But also, they, they didn't... So they said yes. I don't think they planned for him to summit, 
right? They just wanted him to kind of hang around base camp. No, oh, yeah. And then he was like, ah, if I'm going to go, you know, let me try really hard to get to the top. I mean, you're fucking there. And so... Because it's there. Yeah, well, so the history of Everest... I, I did find it interesting because I knew some of it. But, you know, it was only in the 1850s or whatever when surveying equipment was good enough to determine that it, how tall it was. And then they're like, oh, shit, that's fucking really big. And then British fops with too much fucking money and stuff started trying to climb it in the 1920s. And it must... Looking at how difficult it was for them in 1996 with... You know, I'm sure by today's standards, not even very good gear, but by 1924 standards, like it must have been, they were like space people. The guys in 1924 <laughs> were climbing up with like, let's wear two sweaters. Like they had fucking <laughs> nothing. <laughs> it was com- they were well, comically unprepared. This is only a few years after guys trying to get to Antarctica or trying to get to the South Pole just died. Well, there was the, there were two expeditions trying to do that in 19... 19- 12 or whatever it was and one guy does it and like left a note i was like i made it i made it see you later and the other guys <laughs> ha, ha. all fucking died they all fucking froze to death or starved to death or something along the way and didn't even get there because you know people were into exploring shit there was no satellites yet so you could just see what was there <laughs> you had to go send a, a bunch of doomed idiots to to plant a flag. So in the 1920s, the, the, Brit- the famous expedition is led by George Mallory, and he's the guy who coins the phrase because it's there. Uh, you know, asked, why do you, why do you, because he had, it was his third attempt to climb it. And someone, you know, a rational human being, is like, sir, why the <laughs> fuck do you keep trying to do this? It's a terrible idea. And then he said, because it's there, which is a really badass answer. Very and then he fucking died. And then he fucking died. Yes. <laughs> but it just made me think, you know, we sometimes we have funny lines we or like clever things we say, but like it never gets remembered. <laughs> like it must be really convenient to be in the aristocracy where like if you just stumble across the right phrase, be like, what a wit that guy was. But they, the, the controversy about them is him and um, uh, Andrew Irvin, Irvine or whatever, they disappeared a few hundred feet or so before the summit. And their bodies weren't found for 70... Well, they never found Irvine's body. But they found George Mallory's body 75 years later. And people were like, did he make it to the top? And part of the the moral of this book is making it to the top isn't the only thing that matters. (laughs) Is actually only about 40% of the the trip. Yeah. It's getting back down that is way more difficult. And so he may have gotten to the top, though almost certainly not... But they did find his body in 1999, and um, oh, after this book was published, yeah, yeah. But he, but I think I'm not sure because the edition of the book I read was like the paperback version that came out a few years later, where they had um, where Krakauer wrote an additional postscript. Oh yeah, to, right, to right say there. to address some criticisms, and I'm not sure if it mentioned or I just was like looking it up at the. I kept looking up stuff on Wikipedia while I was I reading don't, it. So. I don't remember that. But I read the postscript too. I don't remember them finding it. Oh, well, they did find him in '99. Uh, I, someone found him, and they were hoping he'd have like his camera or whatever, but he didn't. And then they just tipped him off the side of the mountain. I think. <laughs> 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 They're not take it. Which is another thing. Like part of the reason why Outside Magazine sent John Krakauer, like they wouldn't, they didn't need his account on what it was like to climb Mount Everest. There have already been those accounts, but they wanted. Someone to report on 
what the commercialization of climbing Mount Everest has done to the mountain. And a huge component is just the litter of oxygen tanks and debris and just fucking dead people. And <laughs> they just leave up there. And, and human feces. So much duty. Well, that's why he spent a lot of time at camp, too. <laughs> <laughs> and the second tallest mountain is the pile of human shit next to it, K number two. <laughs> it's a little mountain joke for you. So Krakauer talks a lot about the different people on the trip with him because he uh, is essentially the price for a person, a civilian, to hike the mountain is $65,000. And it's like two months, and it takes two months. I was surprised um, how long it took. It's mostly well. It's it's the acclimatization. Yeah, I'm glad it's you the, said it. I couldn't say that word. <laughs> it is the getting used to the the thin atmosphere like that kind of takes a, a while. It still heights. didn't feel. It didn't feel like it worked all that well. But he says apparently it works. Anyway, so he talks about the different guides who are the two different, two or three different guides who are responsible for largely like doing these expeditions for sixty five thousand dollars. He talks a lot about the Sherpas which I didn't realize was an ethnic group, not just a job title. Yeah, I thought that too. That was, that, was this, that was one of the two most interesting things of this book was I thought they were a job and not a people, but they are a people. The second is that female yaks are called knacks. Oh, yeah. That's, it's like, it does what? go into the various varieties what of yaks. Dr. Seuss-ass motherfucker wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the Sherpas are... Are they like Tibetan people that have been the displaced? Nepalese, Tibetan. It's 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 probably like they're from a a place like around the mountain that you know this is before those countries were countries. Well, the the northern half of the mountain is literally in Tibet, and the southern half is in Nepal. So they're just right around there. And there's a whole political thing about the mountain. You know, which side you come from, who grants you, who grants you your permit, and so the I forget. I guess it's the Nepalese that are trying to not just turn the mountain into a pile of shit. Well, the, the Nepalese were the ones that didn't let anyone into their country for a long, long, long time. And then suddenly it's like, okay, you can come of our side now. But they've been, but the reason why it's so expensive is because you're paying, I mean, it's expensive to pay for the gear and to hire the Sherpas and, and et cetera, but you're paying a huge fee, like a, a license to climb it. And that's the government charges that. It's like a weird... Um, mountain medallion system they have. Like only so many people can climb a year. Well, but we find out count in this on book the why that matters. So, um, just to finish the history of climbing the mountain, no one would, many people would die before summiting it in 1953 with Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, who gets mentioned about three trillion times in the book because everybody claims descent from him, basically. <laughs> like every other Sherpa is a third cousin once removed of Tenzing Norgay. Which might be true. They're a pretty small group of people. They climbed it with supplemental oxygen, which I didn't realize people had done it without that. I kind of assumed because there's like a certain line, it's like the death zone, and you can't. If you can find the some air. stupid activity. Someone is going to find a way to do it stupider to prove they're stronger. <laughs> well, I mean, these the people that are that dedicated. You want like if it's if they weren't doing this, they would be intense crack addicts like they're just the <laughs> addictive personality type be like they they are fixated and driven yeah they're addicted to oxygen they're just <laughs> they're trying it's the only way they can quit it is by going to the top of mount everest <laughs> go extremely cold turkey <laughs> but they do mention the most badass man ever 
Reinhold Messner, the first guy to summit Everest solo without oxygen. Yeah. And he, and it's like, he's, he's like, I was reading his wiki. He's like an amazing person. And it like, holy shit, how could anyone be that crazy and good at something and live it's such a dangerous thing. It's not like he beat all of the Guitar Hero games. Like he did <laughs> something incredibly <laughs> difficult. And de- and at one point, there's a quote from him from one of his books talking about how miserable it was. I was in continual agony. I have never in my whole life been so tired. When I feel when I rest, I feel utterly lifeless, except that my throat burns when I draw breath. I can scarcely go on. No despair, no happiness, no anxiety. I have not lost the mastery of my feelings. There are actually no more feelings. I consist only of will. (laughs) Jesus Christ. If the strongest man in the world says that, I'm not going to do the thing he's talking about. Right? Like, (laughs) he's the best in the world at it, and he's like, I I want to die. I want to die doing this. If I had and most any energy left to die, would you say? <laughs> would you say he has a mile long stare? Oh my god, I almost picked that one. <laughs> Which is actually the condition of everyone past twenty five thousand feet. They can like barely even think. Anyway, this is mile long stare by Alewife, and it is a in Queens. It is a honey triple IPA, ten percent alcohol, but apparently it is from there deep fried beers collection because it literally says deep fried beers right under my long stare i don't know how, i don't you definitely can't deep fry anything on the top of everest so it's difficult that's wrong oh it's like those when you get that like cake mix and it's like how to adjust the recipe for altitudes above a thousand feet <laughs> you ever seen that on like the oh, betty crocker yeah. cake mix is like for if you're for cooking altitude, in denver yeah exactly <laughs> for you know that the, the burgeoning denver home cake scene <laughs> but there must be a really hard conversion you need to use like two composition notebooks to figure out how to do it on Everest. We got to just turn it up real high and <laughs> cook for like 46 hours. <laughs> How's the beer, Nate? Or, you just, or it just doesn't cook because <laughs> you can't really digest it. Anyway, this is a very bitter and definitely has a very strange taste to it. Strange. Also, it's a honey triple India Pale Ale. But the thing is about honey is it's all sugar. So the alcohol, I mean, the yeast is just going to turn all of that into alcohol, leaving behind just what's the, what's the tiny bit of honey that isn't just sugar? The bee vomit. Yeah. Well, it's all bee vomit, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, that's why. What is that other um, beer style that has honey in it? Braggot? Is it half that beer, half mead? what I was thinking. I have no idea. Not not me. It's actually beer that... No, anyway, uh, I don't know, because... But um, anyway, this is a little... A pretty, pretty bitter take it, tasting, but, you know, it's uh, it's all right. Does it taste 10%? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. That's, that's pretty strong. Would you say that's a, <laughs> a good beer to drink when it's cold outside? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, definitely. This is a, a, a beer to drink when it's cold outside from Westbrook. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Is that a big stout? Nailed no, it. No, it's a dark lager. Five and a half percent. Ugh. Boring. Couldn't pass up the name. Oh, interesting. It tastes like a really strong, like a really like malty brown ale. Yeah. That's not bad. 
So we should say these beers brought to us by our supporters over at Patreon. I'm going to need more beers. I'm going to read these names. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to support the podcast, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash where you can get early access to our episodes, get exclusive content, get merch stuff sent out to you, join us for our quarterly live episodes that are open only to patrons. I say vote in the monthly book poll, which pick this episode, but most importantly, get shouted out on that episode. And Jimmy, can you shout out those fine people who supported us? So, patrons, thank you to each of you. So thank you to Sarah, Nick, Joseph, Joe King, Dan, Jeff, Tokyo Sex Whale. Oh, that's my favorite <laughs> Bukaki movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a Sailor Moon episode, too. Um, I think it's actually a South African statesman. <laughs> oh, yeah, it could be. Uh, Which, I don't know. Is that a family name? <laughs> okay. I think it is, yes. Uh, Tracy. I think this person always leaves this, which is maybe part of the joke. It's a meta. I, a meta I need meta to joke. not fucking procrastinate and tra- forget to change my name this month. Jennifer. Uh, <laughs> Nate is the only fan of my windmill tattoo. Everyone else calls me a Nazi. People are real sensitive about fictional events. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and the next person... Nate, after watching all those videos you made, I finally come around to your beliefs about post-mortem consent. (laughs) How did this become about me? What the fuck? It was always about you. (laughs) Anita Tolick, Barry, Julian, all all of you are cocks, yeah, Brent, Russell, Tyler, Grace, Catherine, Colton, I'm into butt stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I'm into de-butt stuff. Sorry, it's Dutch or something. (laughs) Steven, Nick, Connell Angus, Joe P, Crab, Michael, Daniel, Hayden, Smiling Bend Over Now, (laughs) Emotional Support Burrito, and CL. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. <laughs> God damn it. It took me a second to understand the windmill tattoo one. <laughs> to picture it. Yeah, I wonder what he's talking about. <laughs> Speaking of windmills, there's a lot of wind on Mount Everest. Fewer Nazis, though. You might think, because we have a vaguely successful book and beer podcast that we figured everything out. Emphasis on vaguely. Very vaguely. Well, as most other podcasters refer to our podcast, they say, what? (laughs) (laughs) You you might think we figured it all out. But even we could benefit from some tips sometimes. That's where life coaching comes in. And of all the life coaches we know, our favorite is Tracy Michelle Bullock, founder of Simplicity Do Your Dream. She's a writer, a former startup COO and doula, HR professional, and creative thinker who is relatable, wacky, real, and very much an expert in all things work and job related. She is a uh, career and creativity coach who supports job seekers, freelancers, artists, entrepreneurs, and any other professional who wants an expert eye and ear to spitball, strategize, and offer any other kind of support for their career aspects of their lives and work. If you want to connect, Tracy offers free 30-minute meet-and-greet calls you can book via Instagram or the website simplicitydoyourdream.com. And 
20% off your first month of coaching if you drop Drunk Guys via scheduling a call, email, or direct message. So if you'd like to connect, check out Tracy on Instagram at Tracy Michelle Bullock. That's Tracy Michelle with one L, B-U-L-L-O-C-K. Or you can go to our website at simplicitydoyourdream.com to learn more and schedule a meet and greet. And now, back to us. So the main part of the book is... Going up the so going up the go, going up from like the up to first base camp. Wait, where do they stop off one, first? And then camp <laughs> Jesus two. Christ, oh my God. Do they stop at base camp? <laughs> <laughs> I fucking nailed Why, it. This yes, week. they do. I fucking quadra quadra teamed us all. This is base camp from the Hudson North Cider Company, and it just says cider donut. Mm. That's fucking good. That's fucking good, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Oh, 8%. No, 5%. It's dark. <laughs> also gluten-free, but acceptable. Well, cider is gluten-free. Yeah, that's naturally. Fine. It would be hard to make it with gluten. Put more bread in it. <laughs> Just throw a loaf of bread in the cider. I mean, there's no donut in this one, I guess. So, <laughs> All right, that's all four of my beers. I won. So <laughs> he hikes to... Uh, base camp and then camp one and then camp two. And he talks about a lot about each of the individual people and I've forgotten all of their names. There's like the Southern Stone. guy and like the sassy dentist and the, you know, the Japanese lady. Well, most importantly, he's really talking, he spends most of the time talking about two different groups mm. that are commercial. Well, the two, yeah, they're leaders, but they're the parties, I don't remember exactly who's with each party, but there's the group he's with which is called Adventure Consultants, which sounds like what porn bills you for. You know, like, <laughs> it's like very discreet billing for this dominatrix website. It sounds like a place you'd hire if you want to, like, hunt human beings. Oh, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> the most dangerous game, yeah. So there's Adventure Consultants and a guy named Rob Hall and then Mountain Madness and Scott Fisher. And they're two very different leaders Rob Hall is so methodical and careful, and everything is carefully scripted, and he's like the uber professional, and Scott Fisher is just kind of wild, and he cares, he's not lazy, but he's a little more reckless. Well, certainly by the end of the book, you're like, that guy's reckless, but you know the stories they tell about him early on, it's like, yeah, one time he was climbing a mountain, and like... A chunk of his calf got ripped out, and he's like, and I don't need fell, stitches. He fell, and uh, his own pickaxe went through his leg, and he just walked it off. Yeah. <laughs> For six wasn't months. This guy, wasn't that guy actual, like, personal friends with John Krakauer before the whole... Before I mean, he was kind day. of friends with all of them. Like, the, com- the community is so small at that well, like, but level. But he's the one that John Krakauer already knew. Yeah. He didn't yeah. know the other, uh, the other Everest climbers. Beforehand, like he was supposed to climb with that guy, but then the other guy that he ended up climbing with, like, gave a better deal to the magazine because he, the magazine, he said, uh, instead of you paying to be on this trip, I'll take this guy on the tr- take this guy on the trip so that the you can write about it and like that'll be like advertising for my. And he company. would get additional ad space, yeah, for free to be bartered about. So later. it was like, okay, you're climbing with this guy instead. Never used that though. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, magazine of the real about- winners. <laughs> <laughs> they got the story and they didn't have to pay. <laughs> Spoiler. So anyway, talk Krakow. He the base camp. They go to the base camp and they go to the camp one and camp two. And they have to. And he talks about you know difficult some of the difficult climbs between those two, but also um, the fact that you've got to like stay at one altitude for a while or just to, just to get your body to start making more red blood cells so you can uh, actually absorb more oxygen from the very thin air at twenty five at at the t- oh, so at twenty five thousand feet. There's only half as much oxygen as as at like sea level and then on the top of mount everest which is twenty nine thousand twenty eight feet it's a third as much oxygen so you really have to um spend a whole bunch of time just kind of waiting around and it's still pretty fucking cold they'll do like stuff where they go in between in between climbing they'll like go halfway up and then wait there and then go back down like days in a row so they'll like be going up and down the same part of the mountain for like a week just to get ready to make it. Yeah. So I think um, Mitch Hedberg had a joke. Like, I want to climb Mount Everest, but I just want to go to base camp, just hang around and grow a beard. <laughs> <laughs> sure, there's more there to it. There are people that do that. That's all they do. Base camp is like not that, relatively not that high above like uh, like a permanent Sherpa settlement. Where they, that's, isn't that where they uh, they live in the... The bunkhouse where they're like cooking poop to stay warm, and he gets like a lung infection that just keeps him coughing for the that rest won't of the go trip. Away. Yeah, he like dislocates a rib coughing. He coughs so much. Yeah, but he still had that the whole time, even all the way up to the top of Everest. So base camp is seventeen and a half thousand feet high. So it's it's up there. But what people don't realize, I suspect, is that. This is at the Tibetan Plateau, so like, just where you're driving your car at the like is already <laughs> significantly higher than most places on Earth. You know, this is actively growing <laughs> this mountain range as the Indian tectonic plate and the uh, Eurasian one just. So the later you climb it, it the more you climbed than everybody else before you. So you're constantly getting better. Yeah, you like you beat you beat Reinhold Messner by three millimeters. <laughs> He might have been a Nazi. That's a, that's a pretty German name. <laughs> he might have been a Nazi. That was in the 70s. I think he's actually Italian. I think he's from like the north. Oh, like one of those weird little yeah, places. Like Ty- yeah. Tyrolean people. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds like an alien. <laughs> it sounds like something from like a, like a fantasy book. Oh, yeah. The, the Mountain Men of Tyrol. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that was in the Silmarillion. I'm not really sure. <laughs> So so he goes hiking. So so he goes like they hike up and down and like staying around and 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 even he even talks about one guy. So spoiler: a whole bunch of people die on the day that they go to do the 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 actual summit. But anyway, even before that, one of the Taiwanese, on um, the someone from the Taiwanese expedition, he goes outside to take a dump wearing nothing but his no legs, nothing but his boots. And then he slips and falls and falls halfway down the mountain. I mean, not, he not halfway down the mountain, but he slips and falls and he lands on his crevasse. (laughs) 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 And then, but it's also because it's dark, like nobody even notices. It's like nighttime or something like that. And nobody finds him till the next day. And then they try and somebody tries to like, you know, carry him down the mountain, but then, you know, but then he dies. 
and then there's there's a scene where you know they call on the radio telling the Taiwanese um, expedition leader, oh yes, what's his name, just died, and he goes, okay, thank you, and we're still gonna win. Then he immediately's like, we're still gonna hike, we're still gonna go to the top, and he seemed to show no real care, but maybe it was just kind of a language thing. Well, the, the Taiwanese team had a bad reputation, like they were woefully underprepared and under trained for this and they've been causing mischief the entire way up and down and they're one of the big reasons that shit goes crazy in the end except few of them actually died yeah anyway uh on the uh so then it finally gets to the day like the day where they're going to actually hike mount everest and there's a lot of discussion ahead of time is when is their turnaround time like if you're not on the summit by 1 p.m we're turning around because getting all the way back is very difficult. Because what, what it sounds like, the, you end up doing a few thousand feet just, right? Just in the last day, just in the very last leg, the leg like up to the top and then back down. Yeah, you make it to like the, the south summit, which is like a second little summit. And then you have to do the last few hundred feet. And you're up there for like a few minutes. And you got to get the fuck out because you can't exist at that level. With it, because you can't carry enough air. There's like a, it's like a carrying enough air versus having enough air to make it up and down before you run out, or or if it becomes too heavy because carrying enough tanks. So you have a you have a there's a window that you have to work with, and the window is not big. It's not big. So not only is it like take a very long time, like they literally start hiking at one a.m. to get there for to hopefully get to the summit by one p.m. and then have enough time to get back down. But also, you know, Krakauer, John Krakauer talks about how just tired he was. He was barely able to sleep because there's, you know, no oxygen. And even when you're using the oxygen canisters, it only simulates like 20,000 feet of altitude instead of 29,000. Like it makes a difference, but it's not like, it's not like you're back down at sea level and able to breathe. It's only just a little bit better. And they, and the cylinders are actually kind of heavy and two cylinders, each cylinder lasts roughly six hours or just, just under. And so if you carry two cylinders, that, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot to carry, but then you only have 12 hours of, uh, that's only 12 hours of air. And so, oh, he, he talks about a whole bunch of little things go wrong, but nobody realizes how much danger they're in. Also, because the loss of oxygen means you can barely think. You can like your ability to even think at all is severely compromised. But also one of the problems that it mentioned earlier in the book is that there's only about two weeks of the year when you could actually summit Mount Everest because the winds that it, it's the two weeks while the, the monsoon is switching direction. So it goes from blowing all in one direction, bringing tons of snow to going back for the other direction, bringing tons of snow, but the wind's not quite as bad. So what that means is, Everybody who wants to climb it is there, and there's traffic. Like, there's a part where they have to talk to the other crews, and they're like, all right, tomorrow or whatever is a good weather day. Who's going up? What time? And there's that fucking South African crew with the dick, uh, not even South African guy leading it, the British guy, who was an asshole. Um, Oh, yeah, with the the token black girl on the team. Well, apparently (laughs) South Africa had... You know, some news sort news uh, company or whatever had sent this 
you know, mixed race crew to be the first South Africans or the first you know, mixed group of South Africans to summit. And it was like this big inspiring thing. And they hired this guy who was a fucking moron <laughs> and just alien at this on the mountain. Like every, you know, obviously these different guides have commercial interests of their own to, you know, they want to be successful and they want to bring up clients so they could bring up more the next year. But there, there is a, the book made it seem like there's a great spirit of a camaraderie and like who, you know, it's kind of like old timey farmers. Like you'll help the other person if they need it. Like you can't, you can't ignore them except this guy <laughs> who they're like, all right, we made a deal. We're going to go up here and there. What do you want to do? And he's like, I'm going when I fucking feel like it. And they're like, that's not really how it works. And he's like, fuck you. And then there's another point where they're like, can we use your radio? There's someone dying. He's like, no. And like, oh, <laughs> gee, thanks. And half of his crew just like mutinied and like, well, fuck, fuck, fuck this mountain. But they're from South yeah. Africa, so like, fake, or whatever they say. Fake. Fake. What you've hinted at before also is most of the people in these commercial enterprises are total amateurs. They're just rich people or people who have saved up a lot of money to do this, including um, Sandy Pittman, the woman whose husband was the CEO of, of um, MTV. The the New York socialite. Like four, yes. He's like a 40s boxer. He's like, he's so rough. He's got Sandy Pitts, man. <laughs> Sandy Pittman here. Yeah. yeah um, <laughs> he hits like a Clydesdale. <laughs> just, uh, but she's like traveling with like, televisions looking <laughs> like laptops and oh because they, they she has a not a slave but basically a slave of uh, one of the sherpas and he just like is carrying her you know solar powered radio and or solar powered fax machine so she can fax everyone at the top of mount everest and there was a lot of her... faxing yeah <laughs> there's a lot of faxing going on for uh this outdoorsy activity but these amateurs they don't know what they're doing it's like they're up there playing reindeer games <laughs> you know, on the mountain and snow and shit. I think they're playing reindeer games. This <laughs> is reindeer games from Clown Shoes, which they're all wearing. This is interesting. This is a Bavarian style IPA. I don't really know what that means. It's got a donut in it. They have hipsters in Bavaria? I think when they say Bavarian IPA, I would imagine one, they're using German hops and maybe emulating more of a traditional German. Recipe. This definitely has more I mean, of that IPAs, bready. Do they exist in? It's Germany? not a real style. I mean, there yeah. are. I'm sure there are at this. You know, today, German breweries making IPAs. Stone Brewing, the people who make uh, Arrogant Bastard, they have a brewery in Germany. Um, you know, so I'm sure there's. It's probably a lot of uh, what we would think of as craft beer coming out of the fatherland. Um, so this is fine. This is fine. I mean, it's just kind of. I could see it has a more hoppy flavor, and more of a traditional West Coast style IPA. Uh, balance of bitterness to hoppy, you know, aroma, but does have stuff that makes you think of a German style beer. But anyway, all these schmucks are up there. And that was really what Krakauer is there to write about. You know, what has the commercialization done where you get these people who have no business being there? They are not the badass dudes who can summit by themselves and can push. I mean, they're t- they're driven. They are motivated. Some of them have no experience Almost at all. Some of them have been doing a lot of mountain climbing, but they're not ready for this. Like even Krakauer is he's he's a avid mountain climber and he is like, I'm not prepared for this shit. Well even the uh whatchamacallit, the um Namba, the the Japanese woman mm. who dies up there, 
she had climbed the other six, the, the other highest point mountains on each continent. The seven summits, she was trying to climb Everest would be the seventh summit mm-hmm. for her. So she had done some, none of them are as hard as Everest. Some of them must be challenging climbs. I don't know. They go through a bunch of other stuff on there where it's like, Everest is the tallest, but considered the most challenging climb this way. And it's it even more challenging if you go to, from this route. And, you know, they're like, there's, it's like, people like us would not understand shit like that. I mean, I did get a strong whiff of some uh, gatekeeping kind of stuff. And I was reading other articles about climbing Mount Everest and people who have tried to climb it without gas, people who tried to climb it on their own. And, you know, there's, there's definitely this element, especially now that dozens of people each year climb it with all sorts of assistance, and then they join that, you know, elite list of people that they don't necessarily belong on. Well, it's like a lot of these people they, they talk about in this one is like the Sherpas go up, rig a bunch of ladders and ropes in place ahead of everybody and then come back so that the, everyone behind them can just climb up. I mean, it's not just climb up. It's still not easy, but they're still doing it with a massive assistance. It's climbing with training wheels. Yeah. Right. They have this, the, and and they, they also talk about things like, oh, we wanted to go to this pass where in 1975, a Chinese expedition had nailed a ladder up to the thing. It's mm. like, does that still count? Like, like it's like, <laughs> If somebody installed a staircase, <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's really climbing the mountain. And I say that as someone who will, who knows, I would fucking die at base camp. Like, I know I could not do this. But they, I mean, they that's what a, this is about. They have a strange, there's a strange um, inconsistency with like what counts as climbing the mountain. You know, there's the people who, like, it only counts if you do it this way. But they're all taking some serious advantage of technology and things that are already in place. Like I read this thing about a guy who, who a German guy a couple of years ago, he had summited Everest like six times or something, but he wanted to do it without oxygen. And he's like, this is my last chance. I'm getting older. And ultimately he failed. He got to a few hundred feet and he realized that he wasn't going to make it. And he turned around, which must be, I mean, a really difficult decision to make that the people in this book fail to make yeah there's a guy in this team that failed the previous year and so he's back again and that's why he keeps going this year and i think he ends up i think he's one of the people that dies um i think so too was that yeah. doug hansen yeah ah, i think so but then this guy in the th- in the thing you know afterwards he's being interviewed about failing to summit and what it means and he's like oh just you know you think of all these things i should have done this i could have done this and one of the things he said was Maybe what I could have done is bought a different size boot and had electric heating socks in it. It's like, that's okay, but the oxygen <laughs> tank is the problem? Like, none of this is natural. It's all a place that would instantly kill a human being without tools and clothing and such. So where you draw the line is completely arbitrary. But most of the people on this should not have been there under any terms <laughs> because they were not prepared. So here's what happens. They like hike up, but because um, on the day, the leader dude, I forget his name again. Rob, Rob Hall, Hall is the New Rob Zealand Hall guy. Rob Hall says, on that day, we're going to stick together. And we're like, don't get too far ahead of us. And so Krakauer and another dude who are, who are like kind of out ahead, they feel like they're just, they get to a certain point, then they have to wait an hour or more. Is one of the Sherpas? Maybe it's a Sherpa, an hour or more just for people to catch up with them. And then they do go some more, then they wait. And so it's already 
Uh, so Krakauer does make it to the top. But just before he goes to the top, he kind of turns around and looks back down the mountain and he sees some very, what he didn't know were very ominous looking clouds. And he says that, yeah, I later talked to the other dude who was a airline pilot who regularly flies at this altitude. And he's like, oh yeah, no, that was a thunderstorm. Oh yeah, that's a thunderhead. I've seen that a million times. You stay away from those. Like nobody was really thinking about it. Not the leader of the expedition. Uh, Krakauer also talks about how like they were kind of trained to not think for themselves to only follow the, the, the directions of the leaders. And so he was like, well, he didn't tell me to turn around. So I kept going. So Krakauer, he makes it all the way to the top of Everest and he's so fucking miserable that after five minutes or less, he turns around and he starts going back and then it starts to get worse because he manages to get down to like the other little summit in one of the, was it Rob Hall or one of the other expedition leaders is there, but he's like totally incoherent. Oh, it, and, um, Krakauer's out of oxygen at this time. And he like, and then they're like, oh no, the oxygen tanks up here are all empty, but it actually was, they weren't. That empty. was Scott Fisher. And and, and and Scott Fisher is like was he the one that was, that confused was a- Andy Andy was the one who I forget what Andy I just wrote Andy Andy was the one who was looking at all the all the the stash of oxygen bottles and told everyone that they were empty. Oh, but Andrew say, Harris, Andrew yeah, and it was like maybe they maybe his regulator was broken or maybe he was just tripping ice tripping it. balls from not having any oxygen in his brain and he was just wrong. And no one, but everyone else is tripping balls too, so they can't say like, "Oh, you're probably not thinking straight, Andy." And and Cra- John Krakauer, as both the amateur and having on the whole expedition, been you know sort of drilled into him, like follow the le- directions of the leaders and not to just do go out on your own. Didn't think for himself and didn't think, "Oh, this guy, he is in crisis and he doesn't even know it, and I could have helped him." but I didn't. And he's like, I just kind of kept going back down the mountain and it was totally awful. And then the storm hit, but I was really pretty close to getting there. So I managed to get into, after some stumbling around, managed to get into the camp. And then I got in my tent and, you know, I just laid down cause I, you know, had been up for like, you know, 48 hours and then just hiked to the top of Everest. I was pretty tired <laughs> and out of oxygen. But, and, but in the like basically massive blizzard, everyone else, cause everyone else was still behind him. He's, um, they either didn't turn around at all or they didn't turn around soon enough. And like, there were like 11 people who were like out on the mountain overnight in the blizzard. It was also that there, there's a lot of bottlenecks when you get to the top. And everyone has to like wait to like climb one rope, and since everybody was trying Up to summit on the same day, you had to wait a lot of turns. That's why they restrict the number of people at one time at that point. Otherwise, the waiting becomes too long, and you can't do it. But every other team, like the South African shitty team and the Taiwanese team that didn't give a fuck about anyone else, they're also saying trying to do it the same day, and everybody ends up getting traffic jammed in pretty much the worst place in the world to get traffic jammed. The only thing that can make it worse is if there was bums trying to wipe your windshield with a squeegee. <laughs> the front of your Oh, this traffic couldn't get worse without a squeegee, a squeegee bum. I don't want to buy those oranges, man. <laughs> uh, and, and then he talks about, you know, there's one guy who would like couldn't see... And he was like, "No, I'll just wait here." I was told to wait here, and, and then, goes, but uh, also one oh, of the that was Beck. Beck was Beck the guy, the, the that true toughest God guy was, in the world. God was trying yeah. to kill this man 
for the entire <laughs> time. And the, and the people also helped. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, he's just going to die. We should just let him they die. They left him and like then he four didn't different die. times. Like, he, there's nothing we can do. And he's like, I'm alive. And like, he's going to die. <laughs> and then like... It's, it's like that scene in, in, in the beginning of... Uh, was it Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not dead yet. He's like, <laughs> I'm not dead yet. They, they, he, he gets left out overnight. Somebody passes him, and they're like, he's dead. He's nothing, there's nothing we could do. That's the line. That's like uh, how these days I blame anytime I'm late for something at work and say, supply chain issues. It was <laughs> 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 like, there was nothing we can do. And everyone's just like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yep. And then... They f- then he he walks back on his own. <laughs> you know, like, holy shit, we were just coming for you. It's <laughs> like I was clinically dead, but I got better, and I decided to wander home. And then they put him in a tent, and in the middle of the by himself, the guy like his they could see like, oh my god, the frostbite on this guy's arms are horrific. Like a, a, earlier, somebody comes back and they're like, the, the doctor's this is literally the worst frostbite I've ever seen. And then Beck Weathers is like, hold my ice axe. And then they're like, holy shit, that's the worst ever. And then they leave him by himself in the tent. And they're like, yeah, he'll be fine. <laughs> Sleep it off. And then no, the middle like of the night, he's going to die. There's nothing we can do. So they left him there. And then the tent. And then he didn't die. The tent, but the tent like fucking well, collapses or something. Yeah. It blows and away. He, <laughs> and he gets covered in snow again <laughs> for the night. And he's just screaming for help. But it's so windy. And it's, it's so funny to picture. But it's horrible to imagine what this guy endured. And then they find him in the morning. And they're like, oh, my God, he's still alive. <laughs> and they, he, he makes it somehow. And then they amputate like both of his hands and his, and his, his feet ha- and like half his a face. bunch of his face. Yeah. He and he's still alive. Have you looked at a picture of him and Googled what he looks like? I did not. I don't want to. I'm sure it's not great. I mean, his face, you could tell, like, something happened to him. Kind of has that, like, burn victim look to it. Mm. But his hands... So, one, they cut off in the middle of his forearm. So, that's just a stump. Mm. But his other hand, they had to cut off all four fingers. But then to, like, give him some mobility in the hand, they kind of, like, split, like, what was left... So it looks like a hoof. It oh, no. looks like a lop. It's like a lobster hoof. Does he have and a thumb? I think he still has a thumb or part of a thumb. He's a, he's a nub. <laughs> I don't know if you can call it a thumb. <laughs> a thub? <laughs> Look at this. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that hand. That's Ooh. better than I thought it would be. All things That's considered, he, does all things like considered he looks great. That's after 20. Okay, here he is when they brought him down. Yeah, that likes that looks more looks what I expected. I like that he was until the the most important thing about him in the book is that he was the Republican guy. Yeah, <laughs> and then, but then he's the Republican guy with four toes at the end of the book, <laughs> and two of them are on his hand. <laughs> <laughs> one one line from the scene, you know, when the when when John Krakauer is trying to get, or he's talking about what pe- what it must have been like for people who were left out in the storm. That the wind chill was a hundred below, like 
Holy shit. Oh, my God. I'm never... I hate the cold. Oh, that's been... A hundred below wind chill. Can't even fathom what that's like. You know, that's, that's, Can you even tell at that point? I don't want to. <laughs> that's what I've, I noticed throughout this book. That he's, he's giving information. I'm like, this is so far outside of my realm of experience. <laughs> I can't even empathize with it. I'm like, that's very cold. I like, climbed several sets of stairs once. That sounds hard. <laughs> <laughs> can't even... Like, like, when he's talking about the agony... And, and fatigue. I'm like, I also only slept five hours last night, and I feel a little groggy. <laughs> like, I just no comparable experience. None. Where they're not sleeping, they sleep for like an hour, and they go through the rest of the day with a headache and nauseous. He lost 25 pounds before in two he got months. to the top, and he was not a guy who needed to lose weight. Your body just eats itself, and they're just. Can't see anything. Like you, you just the guy. Oh. Was it Doug? Doug's larynx gets frozen on the way up. Doug died too, right? Doug was the one that uh, Rob Hall was trying to carry down. Yeah, Doug died. But he was. He was, I think he was also one like his his larynx froze, and I think also his eyes froze or some shit like that. Jesus, Jesus Christ! What's the point of? They should have just told him you're at the summit. <laughs> Made it's it. time to go back. Yeah, now. You're there. <laughs> Yay! You should have seen it. Cool. <laughs> you know, though, we should say because I have to drink this beer sometime. Um, the summit, Mount Everest, is it actually the highest point on Earth? I don't think it is technically because I think there's like another mountain closer to the equator, which is technically like, in a sense, like oh, like if you were measuring out from further from the center of the Earth. Oh, eh, that seems. But sick. it's so high up there. I mean, it's basically in like. The, the troposphere or whatever, right? And you'd think that high up, you can get some space cake. <laughs> this is space no cake. cake. It takes too long to bake. <laughs> <laughs> this is space cake from Clown Shoes, a double IPA. And I feel like we've had some variation on this at some point in the past. It does sound familiar. And it's fine. It's a fine IPA. It is not uh, the juicy things I prefer these days. I was right. We had it during It. I was like, I we have like had the pineapple it. space cake? Yeah, pineapple space cake. Yes. I never forget a beer. <laughs> so then um, Yasuko Namba dies. She freezes to death. And but Beck also- lives. They freeze to death together, but then Beck gets better. Yeah, somebody goes, I think it was Anatoly it was Asshole. B- B- Bukriv, the, the the other, one of the other, he was like Fisher's second in command, but he was like kind of a not very good guy, which is a big part of the end of the book. And he finds them, and he's like, I had to chisel ice off of their faces. And I'm like, they're still breathing. Better leave them. And so that's like, literally it, what like, they do. At this point, like, they're, all, they're, they're at a point where if someone's clearly probably going to die, if they tried to drag them back, it would expend too much energy of their own, and then they would both die. So it's really a matter of you, you can't physically help this person. That's the sort of thing that's really hard to communicate to someone like me who's never been in that situation, right? Yeah. Because I hear that, I'm like, you piece of shit. I understand on some level, but I also, like, you couldn't try. I I get it. I'm not, I'm really not criticizing them, but it is hard to imagine that situation. Because people don't, regular people don't end up in situations like this ever. Ever. No. They don't put themselves in it voluntarily, certainly. Sure. Rob Hall has a radio and they're like literally oh God, talking to horrible. him and they're able to like patch in with a satellite phone, patch in 
a call from his wife back in New Zealand, who I was think. Pregnant. And, but he's who's pregnant. He's and he was stuck. He was up on the mountain for two nights. I mean, he did die also, but he was he survived the first night. And I guess, I guess he just could not move. Like his legs were totally frozen or something like that. But he it was also completely delirious. And so they're talking to him like, "Hey," and he's like, "Just just bring me bring me up some tea." Just somebody bring me up some tea and I'll be fine and I'll get down. But, of course, he doesn't move. And then they find his body. Somebody finds his body there like a week later. Yeah, they find most of the people. I think Doug Hansen they never find. Everyone else gets found. Oh, no, Andrew Harris doesn't get found. Isn't Bukreev the one that finds him? He when finds he goes one back. of them. Somebody finds... Yeah, because the Sherpa finds Scott Fisher. Because... Mm. So it's interesting like the two leader guys of the expeditions both die and both trying to help their people, right? Um, and, and one of the questions that Krakauer has, which isn't really answered fully, is why did Rob Hall, the responsible, organized guy, stay up so late past the turnback time? And it's probably, he's like, well, it's probably because Doug Hansen had been in that situation the year before and he had to turn back. And, and he, had he had convinced him to come back. Yeah. And he's like, no, this year we'll do it. And so he felt obligated to do it. And then the storm came in and they, and he was like trying to save this guy that if he had just cut, if he had just left Doug Hansen there, Rob Hall could have easily lived probably, but he wasn't a scumbag. So they both fucking died. So they never found Doug Hansen, I don't think. And there's also the question that he raises is, did he, did John Krakauer's being on the trip as a journalist right. affect the way everyone acted? Did they then say like, oh, well, I've got to get everybody to the top so I look good in this article because if I don't, then no one's going to join my fucking company and everybody on the, tr- on the all the regular people on there are actually like, well, I better not whine because then I'm going to come across as a whiner in his article. So they're going to keep hurting themselves. Like they, they show up in like a, Boots that had not been broken in on, and like their their feet are all mangled and wrecked because they're not they're using equipment that they're not used to. Like their like one guy had the crampons that just didn't fit. He only had the super, not the plus. Um, <laughs> Those heavy flow days. <laughs> but heavy it was you know flow. it was kind of like a you know you can't it was the quantum physics where you, you can't affect something you can't observe anything without affecting it. That's the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. I've heard that. Are you sure about that? But I've yes, watched <laughs> many people undress, and they didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it affected. So yeah, these are all like questions at the end, and then he also there was a big confusion because he was like delirious. That he's like, no, I saw this. I saw Andy. People were not sure who they were talking to at certain points because everyone was tripping balls, and they were Black. all fully masked up. And it's a blizzard. <laughs> And he's like, I saw him, definitely. And it turns out, no, he saw a totally different guy. And that that Andy Harris guy probably, like, walked off the mountain or something. He fell off at some point. At first, John Krakauer thinks he's, like, the guy, he was he was 100 feet away from base camp. He, he must have literally walked off the mountain, walked off this cliff in the blizzard because he finds tracks in the snow. Turns out... That what he was, it was that didn't happen. He talked to an entirely different person. Oh, yeah. And that guy he originally thought had walked off the mountain instead was just like several hundred feet up and just died up there. So he did die, but just, you know, 
had relayed the wrong story to his family back home through the radios and satellite phone. Basically, it was a giant mess. They never found the body of that guy. So it's mystery. is not really clear exactly what happened to him. But John Krakauer added more confusion to the chaos of you know the, the morning after, the day after. Because he was like, no, I definitely saw him. And then he feels really terrible, as he, as he logic, you know, anyone would, that he tells that guy's, like, I think it was his girlfriend, Fiona. And they say, oh, yeah, he's, he made it back. And then they have to say, oh, wait, he didn't make it back. They go, oh, so it was a different guy. And he says, it's a different guy who was um, six inches shorter and had a different color jacket. But who could tell these things? Yeah, and there's another thing that they, they say that, of the team leaders and their second commands, everybody was making life or death decisions at a point when they were basically at the functional capacity of being hammered drunk. Yeah. A combination of sleep deprivation, physical fatigue, and just low oxygen to your brain. You just, you could, but you could just function. That's all you could do. It's like putting one step in front of another is like the most thinking you could really do. And that's all he did. Couldn't do anything else. Yeah. And then he ends a long postscript about responding. So so he wrote this book in 97, it came out, which was... Uh, which was only months after the whole thing. Well, yeah. So it came out in... in so in, in May was... You know, May 10th was the day. And then the book came out in 97, May 10th of 96... And then but he wrote uh, an, he wrote the article, but people were upset about some stuff in the article, and he wrote this book so that he could kind of expound on everything and uh, you know, explain everything a little bit more detail. Because in a magazine, you are limited in how much you can put in and what you can say, and he wanted to give a more full account of everything he could find out. And he also talked to a lot of people that were there again to get their patchwork recollection. But then. When his book came out, became a bestseller. So he had like first say about this disaster. Yeah. And then a whole bunch of other people came out and did interviews, wrote their own memoirs about it. And some people were not very happy with how he depicted them. And some of the criticisms, he, he, he repeats some of them. Some of them seem reasonable. Like one, I forget who it was. It was like Scott Fisher's sister or something like that. She said, like, nobody, like, you stopped trying to pretend you knew what people were thinking. People did what they thought was best. No one wanted to die up there. Because he can't, he does the thing that any nonfiction writer is going to do. Yeah. And say, he must have been thinking this. Or he probably did that because of this. Um, You know, try to explain the irrational shit. And so she's like, shut the fuck up. It was a terrible thing. You don't know what they did. You don't know why they did it. Not a, not not totally wrong, um, but the biggest complaint was from the Anatoly Buka shit your pants whatever his name was, and he Bukarev. came out with his own fucking book and was calling Krakauer a liar, and then Krakauer wrote a whole lengthy thing explaining like kind of going point by point on why he thinks that guy was full of shit, and I skimmed it because I didn't really care. <laughs> uh, I read that part; it was interesting. They had a, like a they had a, like a very actual public spat, you know, but you have to be kind of into the scenes to even know what's happening, where a lot of it was like kind of third party miscommunications where he, the Bukharev guy thought that he was, that 
John Pryor was like blaming him for certain shit that happened. And some of his stuff was kind of, he didn't do well. Uh, you know, he would like go off on his own and he claimed like he was going to go back down first to get oxygen to bring up back to people. But they were like, oh, you must have talked to that guy about it. No, no, I didn't talk to anybody. And there's a lot of, you know, he said, he said. Well, at one point when they were all like fucking dying at the top of the mountain, he went back down and took a nap. Yeah. And so, he was to like, be fair, it said, uh, they said, everyone did that because your body is just shot. And he's the only one who got back up and went back out on his own right. to find so, people. But he was like, I would have been useless if I didn't do that. But it's, another, it's the, right. another thing that like, in the court of public opinion, for anyone who wasn't there, that just reads like a shitty move. Yeah. Plus, he's, you know, a Russian. It's like, well, they had to go make nap. Or he's actually, <laughs> he's like, he's a, I think he's from Kazakhstan. But so Russian, like Russian does. Yeah. Like, Me, climb the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> my mountain. My mountain. <laughs> but the, but my the, brother. The, oh, the, my at the end of the, the at the end of the, the PS, he says, all that stuff is aside the point. This, the, the real point is he was a guide. He was not climbing that mountain for himself. He was guiding other people, and he was doing it without oxygen because he thought oxygen made you, you know, you're a weak, you know, a little weak boy. He's, not, he's a strong Soviet. And so he didn't use it because he's like, I don't need it. But if your purpose is to help other people, you should be as safe as you possibly can be not thinking about just like your ego stuff. And that was like the main issue. Mm-hmm. And then that guy died a year yeah. later in another mountain. So one of the one of the other final things in the book is that how like eleven people died on like that night or like that from that eight attempt people died. That. Eight people died that night and like a dozen total over the that season, that one month, that one two week period when you could summon. Yeah. And um and that wasn't even an unusually high number. It was a usually high number for maybe one day, but it wasn't an unusually high number. Even one of their worst for a years. Season. And there must be a ton of dead bodies up on Mount Everest. Well, he said 130 have died at the time of writing this book. A lot, a lot of them disappear or, you know, like fall somewhere. You can never find them. But a lot of them, they're just along the way. And some are identified and some are still identified. Green Boots is one of the famous dead bodies on the mountain. Yeah, they're all preserved because it's cold as fuck. They're frozen. They just stay there. But also, you know, there was a couple of years ago, like a young British guy who was like sitting and people just kept walking past him as he froze to death. Like people on their way up, mm. which is kind of a real dick move. You know, it's not like there's there's a, a you know, a certain point, you know, one criticism of, of the Everest climbing culture is that. While you need to, you know, at a certain point, sometimes the decision is like, you can't save them and yourself. You can only save yourself. A lot of people play that card early. Yeah. You're like, oh, I just left base camp yesterday. I guess that guy's dead now. You know, it's just, so there have been people who, who perhaps died unnecessarily. But the book also says like, maybe there should be some procedures to make sure those people are never on the mountain in the first place. You know, maybe you should be taking people who are just paying money to be there and aren't ready for it. One, I've read an article, another thing about you know the ga- the guy who tried to summit gasless, and he said that we should not have it because it allows for people who shouldn't be there. Because by putting on the the gas tank, it basically makes the mountain ten thousand feet lower. In terms of you know, that was his his math. I mean, I don't know exactly what he's what he means. If that's not, I don't think he means literally that, but like it makes it so it's a much more achievable thing. And it means that it opens it up for a lot of people who shouldn't be there. 
And uh, one of the things Crack Hour says is like, one suggestion is to do it with where you have to climb without supplemental oxygen. Because then it will only attract the most hardcore people to do it. And you will have fewer. The people who die up there, they were, you know, like nothing could have, no one could have survived if that person dies. Whereas if it's, you know, your average, you know, dentist from Minnesota who's like, this is my goal, uh, you shouldn't be there. But like Nepal is dirt poor and relies on the money it makes from these people climbing that they're not going to shut it down. Like, fuck, let them die up there. They already paid their fee. I mean, so what'd you think of the book? I thought it was actually, at first it's kind of a slog, like climbing a mountain. But by the end of it, it's, it's really, really, really good. It's very good. I was honestly surprised when this won on our poll because it was like three really stupid books and this like intense nonfiction one. And I was like, all right, sure, if that's what people want. But yeah, as honestly, this was, this was easily going to be the best book of the choices. And uh, I, you know, I don't know fucking anything about mountain climbing besides Vertical Limit 2000 uh, <laughs> Masterpiece. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad to have read it. Is something uh, you know? I never was going to climb a mountain, and now I'm a hundred percent sure that I'm never going to even climb a mountain of any kind, let let alone a really tall one. I don't even want to go to Denver after this. <laughs> Fuck Colorado. <laughs> I've climbed small mountains and been to Denver. Oh God, <laughs> it's really not that bad. Uh it is nothing like this. I've also done it in the summer in nice weather. So different, know, different experience. Very different. I've never done ice, snow, um, hiking or climbing or anything like that. I've never had to physically climb anything besides a playground. <laughs> if they installed monkey bars on the on the mountain, it would be more still be too difficult for most people. If it was just monkey bars, I've shoveled snow so that I could get my car out and so I could drive. <laughs> That's you're halfway there, man. That's base camp at least. I will say this book. If nothing else, if it doesn't also teach you that climbing a mountain is stupid, it will teach you the word bivouac, which they use about 7,000 times. Bivouac is a fun word. It's a great word, but it's like, then they bivouacked on the side of the mountain, and after bivouacking, they decided to bivouac off one more time for good measure, and they bivouacked <laughs> off each other. They're bivouacking and sauce-making and doing the jiggy-jiggy, as the <laughs> Sherpas called it. The Sherpas believed that the, this journey was cursed because people were fucking in the tents. And unmarried to them, people. Unmarried people, yes. Uh, because to them, the, the mountain is either actually a god or where a goddess lives. Because they practice this hybrid Buddhism and just animism sort of thing. Yeah. They still like worship the spirits of nature. And, but also the, half the Sherpas, when somebody had a, like a Playboy magazine, they were like... This is terrible. We should investigate this further alone in this tent. And then just like, yeah, with I think that was, that was the jiggy jiggy. Did Will Smith climb this mountain? Yeah. He was getting jiggy jiggy with it. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it was, a, it was a lot to, it was a lot to learn about climbing a mountain and how, uh, you know, you know, it's bad, but you don't really think about like the minutia of it's so high up that suddenly like you're, you start to bleed into your own brain. It's pretty tough. It sucks up there. And, and even just, I mean, there was a film crew, and I was going to look to see if I could just find the movie. Oh, yeah, there was the a film IMAX crew. Making. You still actually get, I think, an even better sense of how fucking miserable it was reading it than you would even watching a film. 
Yeah. Because when you see the movie, you just see them like moving. <laughs> You're gonna... Like, oh, they're walking slow again. Like how every breath hurts and how you take, you take like one step and then have to breathe four or five times to get enough energy to take another step. Yeah, I, I would actually and say... you can't that see at all. In the movie, in the book probably doesn't capture enough how miserable it is. You know, it's like, oh, he's tired a lot. It's, it, 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 it probably captures it better than the movie, but nothing is going to capture it as well as, you know, trying to do that stupid activity. Like, you cannot understand, understand it. Nor should you ever fucking want to. No, yeah, it's dumb. One other weird thing I remembered is there were parts of the mountain where it was so hot they had to take off their coats because they were, like, closer to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> So it was like it was like like being inside of a giant uh, reflector dish because of all the snow, and they were like sweating and overheating, and then dying of frost the next day. It's like yeah, that sounds like the fucking worst place on earth. The earth is saying to people, "Don't go here." Yeah, and they're like, "Hmm, I'll bring a tent." <laughs> <laughs> fucking stupid. So uh, tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail Follow us on Twitter at DrunkGuysBC. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at DrunkGuysBookClub. And if you want to support the podcast, just head over to Patreon.com slash DrunkGuysBookClub because it is there. And you can uh, support us there or just leave us a review. Just tell your friends about the show. And you can also join us on Goodreads where we are getting together and reading and talking and reading also and also talking. And we'll see you all in 2022, the future. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Mm